call your attention now to the passage where the sermon is based, Psalm 100. Psalm 100. And the title of the message is The Joy of Adoring God. The Joy of Adoring God. Psalm 100. And uh, we will begin reading from the title of the psalm. Listen to the word of our God. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Let us pray once again. Father, please, by faith, give us faith to live the Christian life with gladness in worship to you. Give us this joy that we just read, not because of ourselves, but because we want to live for you and to delight in you. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I believe that when I was a kid, um, I had the, the mentality that uh, going to church was not for pleasure. Religion was tedious and to follow rules and laws was not fun. But I think this text in particular and the whole Bible in general teaches that Christianity is all about joy and pleasure in the Lord. If you want true joy, you find in the God of Christianity or the Christian religion based on the Bible. And we will know about this first, the climax of joy, and then the cornerstone of joy that this psalm will teach us. First, the climax 
of joy. This psalm, you can read from top to bottom. I think it's the normal way to read it. It's the correct way to read it. But this evening, I want you to read with me in a parallel fashion. Not from top to bottom, but one verse in parallel to another. Because you have here seven imperatives, seven commands. Three imperatives you find in verses 1 and 2, with I think it's in parallel with verse 4, and you find another three imperatives. And then in verse 3, you have the seventh imperative, which is in parallel with verse 5. Because verse 3 and 5 is all about the knowledge of God. Know the Lord. That's the seventh imperative. And then in verse 5, he'll give you attributes of our God. But first, I want you to see the three first imperatives that you find in verses 1 and 2 with three imperatives that you find in verse 4. And where you will see the climax of joy. So if you go with me, for example, in verse 2, part B, it says this, come into his presence. See the verb there? Come into his presence with singing or with joy. And I think it's a parallel with verse 4, part A, because it's the same verb in the original. In verse 2 it says, come into, and verse 4 says, enter. But both are the same verb. It's for you to compare or to have read them in parallel fashion. So in verse 4 says, enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So here's the principle. You're going to come into his presence in the temple, which is the context of the psalm, in his palace, because he's the king, which is the broader context of the psalms here, 91 until 100. You come into his presence in the temple with joy. That's what you find in verse 2, part B there. Singing and joy is the same thing. And then you compare with verse 4, and you enter into his gates, wow, how, with thanksgiving. So the point here is, what you feel inside in your heart with his joy, a singing heart, you express it, you express it with your mouth, with thanksgiving. Because you are delighting the Lord, you cannot contain yourself, you, know, you cannot keep it in yourself, and then you have to express it with thanksgiving in his presence. You have the same lesson in verse 2, part A now, that says, serve the Lord with gladness. You see there the imperative? Serve the Lord with what? With what? With gladness. See again. You're feeling inside gladness and joy and pleasure and delight. And then if you compare there, that verse 2, verse 2, part A, with verse 4, part B, you see the same thing. Give thanks to him. So what you feel inside, it has to come out in your mouth with thanksgiving, with praises. What you have inside... You cannot hold any longer, but you will express it with 
thanksgiving and praises and worship to your God. You see the same thing in verse 1 now, the imperative of verse 1. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. See the joyful noise. And then you see the parallel in verse 4, part C. Bless his name. What you feel inside, in your heart, what you are having pleasure with, it needs to come out. It needs to go out from your mouth in worship. In this case, to bless his name. I think that's one of the best definitions of what preaching is all about. When you are studying what you see in the text, it fills your heart with joy and gladness. And you have to speak it out. You cannot contain yourself. You have to speak about that truth to others and bless his name through preaching. And that's the climax of joy. Did you see it? Did you notice it? The climax of that joy when you read in a parallel fashion? The apex of joy is what? It's praise, right? When you feel joy in your heart, the climax of that feeling, of that emotion is what? Praise. Praise is the climax. Here's the point of the text. It's the climax, the apex. The highest point of your enjoyment in God, it has to come out with words worshiping and declaring your love for Him. C.S. Lewis, writing about the psalm, says basically the same thing, but in a better way. He said this, I had never noticed that all enjoyment it spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistress. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. And then he says this. And he's, here's the application for all of us. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's not only the expression of what you're feeling inside, but it completes your joy. And then it says this, it is its appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete till it, it is expressed. And we do that all the time. When you see a great game, when you see a beautiful painting, when you are seeing a beauty in the mountains or in the ocean, or you see a beautiful person and you see a talent in someone, when you feel something that is enjoyable for you, you will speak it out spontaneously. In fact, you will call others to, to enjoy with you. Because the praise completes the joy that you are feeling inside. You cannot live without joy, you know? 
You cannot live without joy and without worship either, since worship is the climax of all joy. The joy is incomplete if you do not worship. So you cannot live with that feeling. Is there anyone here who struggles to feel joy? You see, when he's calling all the earth, come, 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 make a joyful noise to the Lord. Do you think that God needs our, our worship? No. God doesn't need your worship. He deserves it, but he doesn't need it. You need to worship him. It's because you need to live in joy in God. You cannot live without it. You'll be in danger if you see someone say, I don't have any joy in anything, in my job, in my family, nothing. That person is in danger because you cannot live without joy and without worship either. That is why God is calling you, come to have joy in him and as a result of your enjoyment in him to worship him. You can have it another way. When you do not praise the Lord in your daily basis, in your life after church, it's a kind of practical atheism. Then you say that you worship God, but inside of you, you don't have joy in him. You don't delight in him. You live as if he's not real. It is a huge problem. Christians that say that your God is your life, but in practice, no joy at all. No. Here the text is calling us, come, let, have us, let us have delight in him and to worship him and call others because the climax of joy is worship. Secondly, the cornerstone of joy. You see in verse 3 it says, know that the Lord, he is God. Is about the knowledge of God. That is why it's a parallel with verse 5 that says that the Lord is good, that the Lord is love, and that the Lord is faithful. Three attributes. And here is the cornerstone, I think, of all joy. The knowledge of God. He is the source, the basis, the foundation of joy. And he begins here saying that the Lord is God. Isn't it an obvious truth as a Christian that we read that God is the Lord and the Lord is God? Of course it is. Why is the psalmist saying this here? For this reason. The more value of the object of your satisfaction or worship is, the more intense 
is the enjoyment that you have in that object. The more value of the object of your worship is, the more intense your enjoyment in Him will be. You see that in the daily basis as well, right? I like, for example, I like dogs. I value the dog. And that is why I can have fun with it, play with it, have joy in that dog. But when I compare that with my children, because I value my children much more than a dog, my joy with my children is higher and bigger and greater. It's more intense because my value for my children is much bigger than a dog. Then I value a dog. Now, if you think that way, can you imagine? That is why the Lord is God. That means that there is no one in this entire universe more valuable than the Creator, the Lord God. No one. And here I think children and young people is one of the best definitions of what heaven is all about because the more intense worship the more value you worship your god who has the most valuable who is the most valuable person of the universe the more intense your joy and delight and pleasure will be in heaven can you imagine without sin without transgression without a stain in your soul and body perfectly, perfectly seeing the greatness of your God, the value that he has, the more intense your joy will be because the Lord is God. And if we let, if we let the New Testament to shed light here in this text of Psalm 100, you see the Trinity here, right? Because it has supreme value in the three persons of the Trinity. And it's all about, it's all about joy. You see, in, in Jesus' baptism, remember? When God the Father said about the Son, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have joy. And then comes the Holy Spirit upon the Son. And we know about the Spirit in Galatians 5. One of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. So what you have in your God, the Trinity, is the Father having pleasure in the Son, and the Son in the Father, the Spirit in the Father, and the Son. And that overflows into all creation. That's, the, that's what you see in the Trinity. Joy with one another. Delight in one another. Pleasure with one another. That's the God who is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord. Because God the Father is Lord. Is Lord and the Spirit is Lord. And they have their pure joy. Perfect joy. Overflowing into us. But the text says more. It says that the Lord is what? Know that the Lord 
made us. It is he who made us, and we are his. The Lord is creator. Why is that important here? Because he is the cornerstone of all joy. He is the source. The Father, the Son, the Spirit join one another, enjoying one another. That overflows. He is the source and the cornerstone of all joy. And because he is the creator of everything, especially happiness and joy. Right? When I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking, isn't it weird that God commands us to feel, to have an emotion for him? Because emotion is something that is passive. I cannot help it. It just happens in me. How can he order or command that I have joy in him? It is weird. But then when I got at this point, it says, he made me. It reminded me, it reminded me about creation. How did God create everything? With a command, right? With an order. He said, when it was darkness, let it be light. And it was light. So what, how is it one of the ways that he creates joy in us? Exactly right now. As you hear his word commanding you, serve me with gladness. It is through his command, through his imperative that he produces, as the creator, joy in our hearts. That's one of the ways for us to understand that he is the cornerstone of all joy. But there's something else. Because he is the creator of all things, he is cornerstone of, all, of joy. Why? Because when he created heaven and earth, he created things for you to enjoy. When he put it, when he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, many times we think it just about that tree that Adam and Eve could not eat. We focus on that. And we forget that he says, you can eat from every tree of the garden. Enjoy, have fun, have pleasure with everything that I created for your enjoyment. Go ahead. He created our family, our jobs, our spouses, our entertainment. It's for you to have pleasure and have fun. He gave us a world to explore and to find happiness in those things. Because he is a God of joy. He created us with that kind of ability. I sometimes talk to my kids saying, do you know why God created food like he did with so much flavor? He could create a food just like water, just for your nutrition and for your growth that's all but he created food with all those flavors as i oh how much i miss the fruits in my homeland to taste it again that food that i cannot have here or that kind of dish you know how good it is he created those things for you as his creature to enjoy because he is a good god but here's the problem and here is the application for all of us. Those created things, they point 
to a joy higher than those things. They are just signposts, just signs pointing to something that is greater than them. Your family, your relationship, your career, your sports, games, entertainment, trips, they are just signposts pointing to something bigger than them. But our problems as human, sinful human beings is that we confuse those things. We think they have pleasure in themselves. They are end in itself. And that's our huge problem. Let me quote again C.S. Lewis here. He says this in his book, Weight of Glory. The books and the music in which we thought the beauty was located in the pleasure will betray us if we trust to them. Listen to this, young people. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. If they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. And then he says beautifully, they are only scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. And we, we are self-deceived, thinking that those things will give us Ultimate pleasure when they are just signposts, instruments, channels to something bigger who is our creator, God, who made us and we are his. That's why he is the cornerstone of joy. And we confuse those things and we'll break your heart. The delight in the Lord outshines all other pleasure. The joy in the Lord surpasses all other created joy and satisfaction. That's for you to meditate this evening and never forget that truth. But there's more. The text says that we are His and we are His people. Know that we are His and we are His people. It's a covenant relationship. That's the language of the covenant, isn't it? He is our God and we are his people. And he is the cornerstone of all joy. Because when we are his, we are now a family. When I was studying about covenant, I didn't realize that only in Israel, only the God of Israel is a God who made a covenant with his people. All other gods in the regions around Israel, there was no god who did that. Only kings, human kings, had covenant with the people. Only in the God of Israel that you find covenant, the God, the creator of the universe, having a covenant, a relationship, a loving relationship with his people. And that is the basis for the relationship with one another. And covenant relationship is a fuel for happiness in him. Because admiration produces the desire to praise the person we admire. And we invite others to admire with us. That's why the text says, come all the nations. Come and let us 
Worship this God. Because as people of the same covenant and of the same family of God, because we enjoy God, have pleasure in Him, we have to talk about Him with each other. And to share our joy with each other. We do that all the time, don't we? For example, for example, with jokes. If you find something funny, rarely you find that joke by, you enjoy that joke by yourself. You call others, come brother, come sister, come here, listen to this. And then you have fun together. You call others to have fun. You see that with sports as well, don't you? Well, like I said, I'm from Brazil. We love soccer. Oh, how we do. We love soccer. Can you imagine Brazil playing the World Cup and our team scores and then a guy like this It doesn't make any sense. For sure that guy's from Argentina. Because if he is from Brazil, he is crying, he's crying, screaming, and hugging, and having celebration with one another. We call one another to have pleasure in those things that we delight in. In covenant, in relationship, as a family. And that's exactly what you see here. It's a feel you invite others to admire what we admire. Oh, come and see that picture. Well, what a movie. You've got to see it. We do that spontaneously. Here's the application. You know why we don't evangelize and call others? Because maybe the problem is we don't delight in God. Because if we truly delight in God, we will call our neighbors. We will call others to see you got to see what I see. You have to see my God. He is matchless. I know you are. That kind of religiosity. Maybe they're going to laugh at you. It doesn't matter. Because you have joy in your God. Spontaneously. You are compelled to call others. To come to see what you see in your God. But lastly, you see there, the Lord is our shepherd. Isn't it what the text says? And then we read with verse 5, it says, And the sheep of his pasture. No, that's the knowledge. Theology is so important, isn't it? Know that the Lord is God. Theology is the basis, the cornerstone of joy. And you know what? That he is your shepherd, that your shepherd is good, as verse, uh, verse 5 says, that your shepherd is love, that his love is steadfast love that endures forever, and that he is a trustworthy shepherd. You've got to know that. Maybe you came this evening listening up to this point, this sermon, and thinking to yourself, I don't even know this guy, this strange guy with, with another accent from another 
part of the world and telling me to have joy when he doesn't know what I'm going through right now? All my problems, my affliction, you have no idea the trials and the problems that I'm facing right now or that I've been facing. How can you say that I can have joy in that circumstance when my life is a hurricane of disasters? And I think you have here something very solemn. Because the text is saying, have God as your shepherd. Know that. And here's the basis of all joy. Because there is a thin line, isn't it? There's a thin line between tragedy and comedy. Isn't there? Yes. Very, very thin line in between tragedy and comedy. You remember Robin Williams? The actor? Robin Williams was making everybody laugh. Through his movies. People having a great time. With very funny jokes. But right inside his heart. There was a hole inside. A hole inside. With sadness. And despair. And depression. Isn't that what we are experiencing in our own culture? culture? And I'm talking about my own homeland as well. That the kind of despair and depression and sadness is increasing and increasing. I don't know how percentage it is in the, among of the, amongst the young people. It's growing. And we are trying to cover it and try to, to deal with it and to try to solve those problems like Adam and Eve tried to solve with fig leaves. Try to cover it, but as, as much as we try, we're digging a bigger and greater hole in our hearts and souls. Not being honest with ourselves. Thinking that the, to dream and to have expectation in this life will solve it if I achieve that, if I have that. If only if I got this thing, then I will be all right. And it just leaves the fig leaves. But the Psalms are so honest with us, so direct with us, because here's the basis for the joy in lament. You see? He is your shepherd is the basis for joy in lament, is the basis for singing our pain. Oh, how deep this is. He is your shepherd. And you see the psalmist being honest when they are going through affliction. How long, oh Lord? How long? I cannot bear this. I can, cannot hold any longer. It's too hard for me. But they sing it. They sing their lament and pain. And here, because he's your shepherd, you have the basis that even in your tears... You can have joy in your God. Why? Because he's your shepherd. 
that no matter what is going on in your life, children, no matter what might bring this life to you, young people, you are both feet on the rock of the knowledge that your God is at the same time your shepherd. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances you are going through, yes, you will cry. Yes, you, you, you will lament. Yes, you will feel despair. But you will be in the right place in the rock of the knowledge that he is your shepherd. How? If you are reading through the Psalms from Psalm 1 until Psalm 100, you will go through Psalm 23 that says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a truth. He will be with you no matter what. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I am his sheep and he is my shepherd and he will be with me no matter what. That's our certainty. That's our comfort. That, our, that is our assurance. It's a shadowy death, children. A shadowy death. You know what that means? A shadowy death. When you see a shadow, what is close to a shadow? Light. It's the light of the resurrection. It's the light after death. You have a shepherd who is a lamb at the same time. A shepherd who is good. A shepherd who is all love and steadfast in love. A shepherd who will fulfill what he promised. A trustworthy shepherd. How can you have such a certainty? Because on the cross, your shepherd became a lamb. And on that hour, he cried out to God, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? You know why, Christian? Because your shepherd lamb, when he was abandoned on that cross, is for you to have the certainty, the assurance that no matter what you will go through, God will be with you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you because your shepherd became a lamb on that cross and experienced and felt the forsakenness of his God. And you will be with him forevermore. Oh, the joy of adoring God. What a God you have, Christian. He is the cornerstone of all joy. And for that reason, the apex of that joy in him is to praise his name forevermore.
as John Newton, in one of his poems, says so beautifully, says this, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, right before our conversion, pleasure and duty, they, they were opposite. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen His beauty. Have you seen His beauty? Are joined to part no more. It is our highest, highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love Him beyond measure and serve Him with our all. And that's what Christianity is all about. Can you see? To serve God, you see in the text of Psalm 100? To serve God how? With gladness. And the only way that you can see that and not see Christianity as a tedious, boring, religiosity, oh, to come to church and to worship is because you haven't seen His beauty. You haven't seen His greatness. You haven't seen how awesome, how amazing, how wonderful He is. As your shepherd, Lynn, who died for you and rose again. And now you have the certainty of eternal life with your God. All oh, the joy of adoring that God. That unique God. That matchless God. That one-of-a-kind God. That you serve Him is at the same time pleasure. There's nothing else like Him. So that one day, as we continue to contemplate his beauty, we can pray like the Puritan once did. In him, thou, O God, in Christ, thou, O God, has given me so much that heaven can give no more. Let me say that again. In him, in Christ, O God, you have giving me so much that heaven can give no more. And as we contemplate that truth, we can say with David in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Oh, may God grant us that truth and that experience so that we can, yes, come to sing to him to give thanks to him because our hearts cannot contain itself, cannot keep it any longer, but to praise the one who is the love of our soul and life because he loved us first, gave his only begotten son and died for sinners like you and me. There is no one like him. The joy of adoring God. Let us pray together. Our Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the shepherd of our lives. A shepherd who is a lamb. Who died so that we may be certain. That you will never forsake us and leave us. But will be with us forevermore. Be with the children here. I pray that even if they know this truth for a long time, they may see this truth in a new way. 
in a changed way, in a converted way. Change them, O oh Lord. Begin now so that they can they, that so that they can, can seek you more than than they can seek entertainment and toys and games. I pray also for the young people here this evening. Maybe they are disappointed with life in some sense. Disappointed with love or with perspective in their career, in the future. Oh, Lord, fill their hearts with the perspective of the gospel so that they can have joy in those things, but looking to you to have the ultimate joy in God. I also pray for the adults, for the parents, and for the elderly. Oh, Lord, be with them. They have gone through so much. You know their hearts, their pain, and only you can give what they need. Only you can comfort them with the truth of the gospel. Be with them. And oh Lord, we pray also for the gifts of your people. Please use those gifts for advancement of your kingdom and for your glory. And in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.